Back in 2022, state lawmakers and Governor Kathy Hochul amended New York's Freshwater Wetlands Act to dramatically expand the authority of state environmental officials to regulate wetlands in the Empire State. In January of this year, the state released plans for how it would implement their expanded authority, including how it would determine smaller wetlands of quote-unquote unusual importance that would come under their purview. For more on the issue, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by our go-to wetlands duo, Aaron McGrath, Senior Policy Manager for Audubon New York. Welcome back to the show, Aaron. Thanks for having us, David. And rounding out the team is Roger Downs, Conservation Director for the Sierra Club's Atlantic Chapter. Welcome back, Roger. It's great to be here, David. So before we get to the proposed regulations, generally speaking, why was it time to update the state's oversight of wetlands in New York? So for one, you know, the the state only was regulating, uh, you know, a, a small portion of its wetlands. Uh, you know, the state has uh, about two and a half million acres of wetlands. But because of the way the law was written, they could only protect wetlands that were 12.4 acres and larger. But the important thing is that they had to be on approved state maps. And largely the mapping of wetlands in the state ended in the 90s. And the the Commissioner of the Environmental Con- the Department of Environmental Conservation estimated that there were a million unmapped wetlands that were jurisdictional to the state, but for various political reasons, they weren't amending the maps. And so we were sort of stuck in this situation where there were critically important wetlands uh, that needed to be protected, and we were leaving it up to the federal government. And of course, we know that through a series of, of horrible court decisions, including the, the most recent, the Sackett decision, the Army Corps of Engineers was going to be protecting less and less. So we needed a construct by which the state could protect not only this million acres of, of wetlands that wasn't getting on maps, but also smaller wetlands of, of unusual importance uh, so that, that we really could do the kinds of things that, that, uh, that protect communities, drinking water, uh, and 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 rare habitat. So what was proposed was to do away with the maps and to come up with a regulatory scheme by which it's presumed that if a wetland has wetland qualities, it is a wetland worthy of protection. So all wetlands larger than 12.4 acres, regardless if they're on maps, need to be protected. And then there was a set of criteria created Uh, to cover smaller wetlands so that we could at least protect uh, the most important and the most imperiled. And I want to get to the idea of these smaller wetlands that might be covered in the future, but just to hammer home the impact of the 2022 law, moving forward, the state's jurisdiction is no longer going to be limited to mapped freshwater wetlands, I believe, starting in 2025. And that threshold for when they're power kicks in is going from what 12.4 acres to 7.4 acres starting in 2028 right that's right so then let's move away from i guess the areas of the freshwater wetland act that are spelled out and where there is ambiguity around other aspects such as what constitutes a smaller wetland of quote unquote unusual importance that would come under their regulatory authority how is the hokel administration looking to define those bodies of water So in addition to the wetlands that are 12.4 acres or greater in size, we also sought to protect smaller wetlands. And those wetlands are termed wetlands that are unusually important. And we have different criteria that makes a wetland important. 
either they contain rare birds or animals, or they help with flood control. They're in urban areas, which have lost huge numbers of their wetlands. And there's also classifications that make a wetland particularly important. But each of those things in the law was not defined very broadly. So we need to go in with the regulations and decide what those mean. And we need to strike a balance between protecting our wildlife and nature, especially in the face of the climate and biodiversity crises, and also making sure that the department has a program that they can implement in a timely fashion. Well, as defined by the State Department of Environmental Conservation, are they advancing meaningful definitions of a smaller wetland of unusual importance? Or is there a concern that they're looking to too narrowly define these wetlands so that not enough that you might deem of importance are going to be covered? Well, I think it's an interesting question. I mean, you know, I I would say some of the categories like an urban wetland. I mean, New York City has lost 99 percent of its wetlands since since the 1600s. So, you know, we know that anything within Staten Island, you know, any anything within the five boroughs probably will be considered an unusual important wetland. Uh, and that that's been easy to define, but but one of like the the newer categories which is very exciting is vernal pools. They've never been considered protectable wetlands, but vernal pools could be, you know, they're very tiny wetlands. Uh, they're ephemeral. They may, may be dry part of the year, but they are the birthplace for some really rare and important uh, amphibians, um, in, including wood frogs and spotted salamanders, tiger salamanders. I think it is difficult for the DEC to set parameters as to, I mean, they, they cannot create a regulatory scheme that protects every every you know puddle, every collection of water. So they, they, you know, devised a scheme of there has to be X amount of egg masses of this species in this region in order for it to be considered unusual. Um, but I, I think the problem is that with climate change, all past data is is really unreliable. I mean, we're, we're now having 100-year flood events almost every year, you know, multiple 500-year flood events every decade. And I think it's true with ecological trends. I mean, you know, ecosystems are not necessarily adapting well uh, to climate change. And I think we're going to need, you know, perhaps more vernal pools protected just to allow uh, for this adaptation. I mean, certain species time their egg laying at a certain time. And if if it's really dry or really flooded, we're going to see less egg masses. So I think the challenge is for DEC to come up with defensible regs. Uh, that also are going to be meaningful uh, with with climate change, and I think that's a, it's a tough order, and we're we're pushing them to have broader definitions. But they're worried about lawsuits, and they're worried about you know not properly defining things so that a court can determine is this indeed a vernal pool or is it not. Well, before we move on to discuss additional aspects of the regulations, as well as the implementation of the state's expanded oversight, let me reintroduce you for listeners uh, just joining the Capitol Press Room. Uh, We're speaking with Aaron McGrath, Senior Policy Manager for Audubon New York, and Roger Downs, Conservation Director for the Sierra Club's Atlantic Chapter. So in addition to what we've been mentioning so far, the state is also proposing to expand the regulated adjacent area for quote-unquote nutrient-poor wetlands uh, to 300 feet. Is that a significant change that the the state is looking to make? 
Well, you know, I, I think historically they've always had that power, but I, I think looking at it, they've only extended that 300 foot adjacent area to 13 wetlands in the state. I think they'd like to, to do it more, but there's a question for them as to what warrants that extra protection. And they've identified nutrient poor wetlands. These are fens and bogs uh, that have very little nutrient runoff coming into them. So they have a collection of very rare plants that rely on very, you know, in, in a sense, pristine water. You know, we're talking about pitcher plants and sundew uh, and, and other things like that. The buffer, the 300-foot buffer, is to protect them from agrochemicals, from lawn, lawn chemicals, from non-point source pollution. And we totally support that. And I think they're looking to expand the definition. I think they're looking to put larger boundaries around these very rare and fragile wetlands. Uh, but getting back to vernal pools and other things, I think that the environmental community can certainly identify that there are some very rare species that require larger buffers because... You know, the adults after they lay eggs are are wandering through the path of lawnmowers or construction equipment or roadways. Uh, and that we're asking DEC to expand that threshold for the kinds of wetlands that would have endangered species. Now, DEC obviously then has to, to deal with legal arguments as well. Is there a mandate to protect the wetland or the species? But I think they can make an argument there. So we're, we're, we're working with them to, to potentially change that. So we've been talking about the state dramatically expanding its authority. So I guess the follow-up question has to be, does the State Department of Environmental Conservation have the capacity, and more specifically the staff, to take on this additional authority? Or is this something that they can implement with the staff that they have right now? The department did add a number of staff the same year that we updated the law. So we are confident that they can execute the program. But we also received the Sackett decision in that time, which means that the Army Corps of Engineers is not going to be looking at all of the same wetland permits that they did before. So I do think we need to re-examine that in light of the decision and make sure that the department is adequately staffed and that they're able to hire individuals in a timely fashion. Plus, with what, as Roger mentioned, you, climate change is changing everything. The biodiversity crisis is changing everything. So I think we are going to need to take a closer look at a lot of these permits. So as the program progresses, we should definitely be monitoring and watching and seeing if adjustments need to be made. And that's something we're always willing to do is to go to bat for the department and make sure that they have the staffing that they need to get their job done. The good news with this new regulatory process is is that doing away with the jurisdictional maps and going with you know high-tech predictive mapping and and this mapping will be on DEC's website it'll be dynamic it'll be interactive I think that there's a new way for the public to engage in a, in a much different and meaningful way helping DEC identify wetlands that need to be protected or wetlands that that need to be restored and I think with the bond act, Funding is coming to buy up more wetlands uh, and 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 help enhance them. And in a sense, you know, we we have gotten more DEC staff, but I think there is a, a way for the public to interact uh, like never before uh, in 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 helping do this work. So I, I think there is a positive there, and it's really up to us to make sure that gets done. 
Well, finally, in light of the Sackett decision, is there reason for state lawmakers and Governor Kathy Hochul to update the Freshwater Wetlands Act again? Or do you feel like the 2022 law and the regulatory authority gained from that is a big enough uh, weapon at their disposal to attack this problem in a meaningful way? The unusual importance criteria is going to give them a lot of tools to protect wetlands that the Army Corps may no longer be able to regulate. But that's another thing where advocates and um, defenders of wetlands are going to want to watch what is being protected and what can't be. So we don't want to say definitively that the law is enough now, but want to watch the program and see if we need to make adjustments in the future. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. We've been speaking with Aaron McGrath. They are Senior Policy Manager for Audubon New York. Thanks for making the time, Aaron. Thank you, David. And we've also been hearing from Roger Downs, Conservation Director for the Sierra Club's Atlantic Chapter. Thank you, Roger. Thank you, David. And comments on the proposed regulations can be made by February 19th with emails sent to wetlandregulatorycomments at dec.ny.gov. Join us again for Capital Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.